Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. Straight fire. This is the Wesson Walker Show. Even the crowd knows what's coming next. It's Wesson Walker on a Monday. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ with you for the next three hours. And you can join the conversation, as always, by texting the Garage Door Guru text line at 704-570-9610. A lot of football to go over after we saw conference championship weekend unfold between the 49ers and the Eagles. As well as the Chiefs and the Bengals, the Super Bowl is set between Kansas City and Philadelphia. We'll this get, is football! We'll get to the recap, all of it, talk about what it might take for Carolina to get to that promised land. That is the Super Bowl game. And then we'll go over a new bit of news that just came out, really, what, within the last 10 minutes or so. We got some breaking news that Kellen Moore, the offensive coordinator previously with the Dallas Cowboys, not only... <laughs> you have to have that reaction. Not only did Dallas and Kellen Moore part ways, was it yesterday that that came in? I believe, or I don't, I don't think it was two days ago. So yesterday you get the breaking news. Yeah. And then today Kellen Moore is officially going to be the new offensive coordinator for the Chargers. So that just came in the last 10 minutes and it changed up some of the questions that we had because Kellen Moore was going to be a candidate for the Carolina Panthers to bring on board as well, being the OC under Frank Reich. And so with that breaking news, plus with conference championship weekend over and done with, let's get off the bus right now. Fitty, open the doors. We look good getting off the bus. I got something to say. Damn! All right, let's go over conference championship weekend first, and let's just go ahead and get it out of the way. West is San Francisco 49ers. They get beat 31 to 7. Mm. And it's a big time loss, especially in the second half. Philadelphia started to pull away, but Brock Purdy played, what, a couple series and that was it? And then even when they brought him back into the game to throw, quote unquote, it was like a screen pass that had zero zip on it. It wasn't yeah. anything. And so you had to rely on Josh Johnson. And then even Christian McCaffrey in the Wildcat, you essentially did not have a quarterback that you could trust one iota. It's crazy to think about at the beginning of the season. You had Trey Lance that you were going to go all in with. Mm-hmm. Gets hurt. Jimmy Garoppolo then, the veteran that you've had success with before. All right, well, he gets hurt. Brock Purdy, what? Undefeated? Coming in as a seventh round Mr. Irrelevant pick? Yeah. He gets hurt. Josh Johnson, banged up too. Like, you guys went through all of your top quarterback options this year. Every single one of them to the point where you had to do some wildcat stuff just to get this game over with. What did you make of your San Francisco 49ers losing in the NFC Championship game? Well, I thought coming out early in the game, I thought they had the perfect game plan uh, for the Eagles when I looked at them doing a mush rush with the spy behind it. Uh, Even when Philly scored on the first drive, I said this is going to give Philadelphia a hard time today, and I felt like it was going to give San Francisco a real chance to win. Uh, When you look at the Eagles, 5 of 15 on third down, 269 total yards, less than four yards of play. If you told me all that before the game, I would say that the 49ers are going to win this game. Uh, When you look at the drives, you know, you had the Devontae Smith catch that wasn't a catch on fourth down. They get the first score. Second score, I believe there were four or five penalties on San Francisco. They kept that drive going when they went up 14-7. Then the other one, uh, right before the half, Josh Johnson fumbles it at like the minus 20, 25, something like that. Sets up a short field for the Eagles. Uh, But I won't be a guy that will sit here and say if Brock Purdy plays, they win. 
Uh, I won't be a guy that will sit here and say the referees and calls and things like that. Um, Philadelphia found a way to win, and that's what good teams do. They find a way to win. Their offense, San Francisco, like I said, had their number defensively. They didn't run rough shot over them like they did the, the Giants or some other teams. But at the end of the day, San Francisco lost their quarterbacks. But credit to Philly for knocking them out the game. Um, you know, people don't like to hear that type of talk <laughs> about football. But Philadelphia knocked them out of the game. I can't sit here and be like, oh, he was injured coming in or whatever. No, Philly knocked him out yeah. of the game. Because you better believe if the Niners had done it to Jalen Hurts, I'd be saying I don't want to hear it. We knocked oh. them out of the game. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, Philly's pass rush, to me, that was the true MVP of the game. Their pass rush is ferocious. Uh, it's the real deal. And so, you know, kudos, man. You hate it. I thought this was a special San Francisco team, and it was in the fact that they won 12 straight. But it just wasn't meant to be this season. But as a Niner fan, the future's bright. I feel like they found their guy at quarterback. They're going to have him a couple years at seventh-round pick money, and they're going to be able to re-sign who they want and go grab guys and do what they do in the draft. So we'll see. You talked about that pass rush, and it's exactly what people are writing in. Stanford P. wrote in, well, according to Twitter, if the Carolina Panthers kept Hassan Reddick, kept Harrison Butker, and James Bradbury, then Carolina would be in the Super Bowl. And, of course, you had a lot of crying <laughs> face emojis because yeah. you did have some successful former Panthers that played this weekend. Tim hates tanking. He wrote this in. He said, Wes, show some hate to the Panthers for being dumbasses and letting Reddick walk for nothing. They won't even get a comp pick for him. I know a lot of people were angry about letting Hassan Reddick walk and then Hassan Reddick actually had two sacks And then you have a blocking, uh, a tight end trying to block the guy. Like, this is what I say about these geniuses. Kyle Shanahan not being a genius because Not even George Kittle. On Hassan Reddick, and your quarterback blows out his elbow. Well, I hope Kyle Shanahan did not have that as a legitimate play, and maybe they just misexecuted, but maybe it was. And if so, you're right to point out the problem there with San Francisco trying to block Hassan Reddick instead of just letting him run all the way through. And I think that's why we'll focus on the AFC Championship game as well. Mm-hmm. But officials are a real problem, and I understand all of that. At the same time, I really don't think that the officials were the reason why either one of these teams won the game. And even Kansas City and Cincinnati, that's the one where you might point to a little more. Because at the end of the day, San Francisco didn't have a quarterback. It was going to be tough to win that contest. And Philadelphia, while it did take 44 carries to have the 140 yards that they gained on the ground, you did have a lot of big plays on the ground with Philadelphia. You had quite a few double-digit rushes, and in the second half, they started to separate the touchdown runs from Miles Sanders. I thought those were both pretty big. Of course, Jalen Hurts got to get rolling too. And if you look at this season, San Francisco's one little piece of kryptonite, like just a little bit, rushing quarterbacks, if you played one, then they had some success. You look at the Atlanta game with Marcus Mariota, and then they didn't really play any other mobile QB. So Jalen Hurts got going in the second half. Ultimately, San Francisco, good season. It was going to be tough with no QB. With Kansas City and Cincinnati, Wes, I know the officials weren't good. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to sit here and say that the officials were excellent in this one. Mm -hmm. The whole redo for Kansas City, that was absolutely ridiculous. It did not not seem like there was some emphasis from the officials that they were going to come in and shut that play down that Kansas City ran. Cincinnati stops them. Kansas City gets a do-over. At the same time... Kansas City didn't benefit from that because Cincinnati came up with another stop. So it did not have an impact as far as 
a direct score in that game. And of course, at the very end, Osai to push Pat Mahomes when he's two steps out of bounds. I thought that was the right call. And I know that so many calls went against Cincinnati, but I thought it was the right one. You can't make that play. So I'm not going to sit here and blame the officials for either one of these losses, even though I'm not praising them and saying they should officiate the Super Bowl. I'm not going to sit here and say that the officials allowed one team to win over another. Yeah, I'm not going to say that either. I mean, you have a lot of that going around this morning. Uh, Like I said, I'm a big fire to the smoke, guys. I'm not going to say 100%. I'm just going to dismiss everything that people said. I know the Niners had seven penalties to gave the Eagles first downs. Um, And then, you know, in the game last night, bad calls are going to happen. And as an opposing player, you have to always know that the home team is going to get some home cooking, man. You know, and whether that's conspiracy or whether that's set up or whatever you want to call it, the home team is just going to get some calls. It's just how it's going to go. So I thought the second game was magnificent. Uh, it was really good. Uh, I do feel like, though, like I said, with Joe Burrow, he, he's a he's a great quarterback. But let's stop now oh, with, the, dude. with the, him better, being better than Patrick Mahomes. Uh, let's let's just knock that off right now. Can Patrick we, Mahomes is the king. Can we? Yeah. Please. He's the, he's king quarterback. I mean, as much as I I love Joe Burrow. Yeah. And this is the problem. When you have to pick a side in some of the best QB debates that we have in the NFL, you just have to tear down the other one because that's the way this is set up. <laughs> and I don't want to do that. Yeah. Joe Burrow, though, didn't have the greatest game. Yeah. Had a couple of interceptions. Also had some great throws, but didn't have the greatest game. Yeah. Pat Mahomes was out there clearly affected. When he had to plant his foot into the ground where he's rolling to his left and then he has to throw almost opening his hips and opening up his shoulders and throwing almost across his body but the other way and then he gets hurt, it's nuts that he's completing those passes. The touchdown pass to Marquez Valdez-Scantling was ridiculous. There are a few throws that Pat Mahomes made to allow Kansas City to win and by the way, they had receivers that had played 10 total offensive snaps in this one because you don't have any of your top guys. It was nuts what Pat Mahomes did. I'm going to remember this game for as long as we talk about his career, when we discuss his best moments of all time. Perhaps there are going to be some Super Bowl championships to add to the resume, but this one, this one playing on the one leg that he did, mad impressive, man. I'm totally with you. There, there's nobody on Pat Mahomes' yeah. level. There is a tier with him, and then you can argue about everybody below what he's about. Yeah, and I mean, it's just the, the coded language is that what that's what annoys me. It's the oh well, Mahomes is great at the off schedule and he's great at playing the quarterback in the unorthodox way. And Burrow, he's just playing it how it should be. When played. it comes Get to quarterbacking, when it comes to quarterbacking the position. Joe Burrow is the best in the NFL. No, yeah, I'm not. not here for it. You define. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, you get the yeah. definition. That's what I'm so saying. Yeah, yeah. They, they want to use the coded language. Like I said, Joe Burrow plays from the pocket. He plays from the pocket well. But don't give me that he's doing something we hadn't seen before or that he's doing something that nobody else is doing. They took away. And, and, and one thing about Joe Burrow, too, is a lot of quarterbacks get a lot of flack for different reasons. Come on now. In college, he had arguably the greatest receiving core of all time. And in the NFL right now, he has one of the best duos of all time. I mean, when have we seen Joe Burrow with average receivers? Uh, yeah, so this – but now I'm going too far. Now I don't want to go too crazy. Because, uh, <laughs> I mean, I'm just saying. No, they take Tyreek Hill from the man. They thought he was done. All he did was have a career high in passing yards, 41 <laughs> touchdowns, 12 picks, going to his fifth AFC – I mean, went to, his, went to his fifth AFC title game, just won his third – 
Come on, man, stop it. No, so so we were on the highway on the QB debate highway, and I had to get off on the highway. Hey, man, I just try to call it how I see it. But I'm with you. Pat Mahomes, there is a tear with him. I will say this. It almost does Joe Burrow uh, a disservice to discuss how only he can play within the confines of the pocket because that juke that he put on Nick Bolton was something serious. Yeah, he's got some athleticism. No question. It's not sneaky. It's not deceptive. Right, right, right. It's real. Deceptive speed. Joe Burrow is the man. Plus, isn't he like a legendary basketball player? Isn't he a legendary? pickup guy I think I've seen I, guess, yeah. I think I've seen some of that yeah. with Joe Burrow either way Joe Burrow Pat Mahomes Mahomes gets, gets a lot of credit for time. he gets a lot of credit for dressing through something that somebody else around here they used to call it a distraction but I'm not going you know there I am, Panther fans, rhyming for y'all again. There you Give go. Give me some love. West. I mean, somebody else is swaggy. When Joe Burrow does it, it's swaggy. And oh, Joe, Swag cool. Daddy. Cam does is, it. Though. Oh, it's a distraction. Uh, Why does he have to dress how he dresses? I'm just saying. Wes is now a Panthers fan. Put that as a promo. <laughs> Full-on Carolina Panther fan. Last thing we got to go to before we go into the next segment, it's that Kellen Moore and the Dallas Cowboys parted ways. Mike McCarthy and that coaching staff, authority figures, they let go of Kellen Moore. Mm. And they did not do this. And if you look at Joe Person's report, a part of The Athletic, Joe Person said that there were reports that Kellen Moore was not fired amidst the coaching process because they did not want to dwindle down the chances of Kellen getting the Carolina a job, right? Where it'd be a bad look. Okay, Carolina's going to hire someone that was fired just a couple of days ago. So they held off on it. Eventually it would take place and it took place just yesterday. But now Kellen Moore is going to the Chargers to be the play caller after Lombardi. I could not stand the way that they ran that offense. Hated it. Dink and dunk to Austin Eckler constantly. Love Eckler. Let's throw the ball downfield. Well, with Kellen Moore, some of the problems there are they don't take enough shots downfield in my opinion. But you get the classic, a lot of curl routes. You run a lot of the similar plays. And so I, I like more as an OC, certainly better than Lombardi. There still feels like there's a ceiling. Ultimately, you have an upgrade with the Chargers. Would you have liked him here since you're a newfound Panthers fan? <laughs> Would you have liked him here in Carolina as the OC? Um. Oh, I mean, I think whatever OC comes here, you know, they're going to earn it. They're going to earn their reputation because they're going to have to do it more than likely with a rookie quarterback and develop said rookie quarterback. And I think that, you know, the Panthers may have a decision coming down the line with Reich or whatever offensive coordinator they get because if this guy comes in and is able to generate a fantastic offense with a rookie quarterback, well, they're going to become a hot commodity. And if it's one of those young offensive minds, they're going to have to decide, do we want to keep Frank Reich or do we want to keep the offensive coordinator that we have? But did I want to see him come here? Um, I mean, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna, you say I guess. I'm gonna take that as a no, though. I'm gonna I'm gonna decode I mean, that yeah, for everybody. I mean, it's like what if what, you say I guess? I'm gonna take that as a yeah. no. I think it would have been a, a little bit of a splash just bringing in a former OC of the Dallas Cowboys, and he is regarded as one of the best in the league. I would say at this point. With his with his track He's so record. polarizing. I don't yeah. know if Fiddy would agree with that. I don't know if a lot of fans would agree with that. But we can move on and talk a little bit more about Kellen Moore. He was set up to be the entire next segment, but now we'll just continue to talk about the vagueness that is the offensive coordinator spot because they don't have one yet, yeah. and maybe they don't get a play caller. Maybe it'll be Frank Reich. We'll talk about that dynamic. What would you rather have? An OC calling plays or Frank Reich calling plays? It's coming up next. Wes and Walker, Sports Radio ninety two seven FM WFNZ.
What should the Carolina Panthers do at offensive coordinator? You can text us via the Garage Door Guru text line. The number to text is 704-570-9610. I have a few texts I wanted to get to before we start to jump fully into that conversation. 619 number wrote in. Whichever OC comes in, it needs to be a Frank Reich pick. Hopefully that there's not any meddling from David Tepper or anybody else even Scott Fitterer there. So I would agree with that. I do want Frank Reich to be on the same page with whatever offensive coordinator they pick. TFB wrote in, hopefully it'll be Petula or Brian Johnson from Philadelphia. Now that's Kevin Petula as well as Brian Johnson. Johnson is the QB coach. Petula is the passing game coordinator. Would you like to have one of those guys from the Eagles coaching staff, considering the success that they had this entire season, eventually going to the Super Bowl? It's always weird when you start to talk about coordinators because it's not like we don't completely 100% know their role. Um, and and what it is that they do. All we know, especially the general fan, and I would consider myself in that group as well, you just really know, okay, they came from the Eagles. The Eagles were really good on offense, so maybe he can bring some of that over here. You're going to do that with any of these guys. You're going to say, well, he did this with this team, and hopefully he can bring it over here. Until they're here and are working with because like I said, Mm -hmm. any offensive coordinator for the Panthers is going to have his work cut out for him because, like I said, you're going to more than likely have a rookie quarterback. So we're going to really see what type of developer of quarterbacks you are, how creative you can be, et cetera, et cetera. But just to answer your question and be decisive, I mean, of course, you look at the success the Eagles have had, the brain trust behind their offensive philosophies. We know Sirianni uh, was an offensive guy. So a lot of people are going to feel like he's doing the bulk of the planning and the brainstorming. But – Anybody off a successful team like the Eagles, of course, you'd probably want a piece of that. Yeah, I mean, that that kind of becomes somewhat of a model. You have an offensive team that has done a really nice job on that side of the ball, and then you just pick one of the coaches that are a part of that staff. And hopefully, either by osmosis, maybe by direct impact, you get some of the fruits of that labor, and that would happen here with, uh, hopefully, yeah. with Kevin Petula or Brian Johnson. A couple of other texts real quickly. Big Cat Dan wrote in. It would probably uh, probably be something like Doug Peterson and Press Taylor here in Jacksonville, where Press Taylor is the OC. But you know Doug Peterson is making some calls there. So that's a good point. Whoever the OC could be, you would have something like that go on. Jay from Mount Holly said whoever the OC is for the Panthers, he needs to have a similar philosophy as Frank Reich. And then the last one, Jax wrote in, Walker, you can't expect Wes to be energized this morning after my birds, all caps, baptized the Niners. So we got some Philly fans talking. 260 yards offense. So so you got some uh, trash talking coming in. Yeah, I didn't know when I look at the the coordinator candidates for the Panthers. One of them is Scott Milanovic from the Jaguars, which that just comes to mind. That's nostalgic 90s ACC football. I did not know he was a coach in the NFL. There you go. Scott Milanovic, he was the quarterback for Maryland. I don't think I knew that Back either. in the day. That's yeah. a little before my time. Wow. Yeah, well, it was. I mean, not watching I it mean, at least. Used to, the nose, boy, they used to put it on him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to go. We could go the ACC nostalgia route. That would be fun, uh. 100%. So let's talk about the potential offensive coordinator here because it, it used to be Kellen Moore that mm-hmm. was one of the candidates, and that's not going to happen. Joe Person of The Athletic, so many times you go to him for reference, and I think there was that feeling that, hey, just because he was a head coaching candidate, even – in the mix to be the actual candidate above Steve Wilkes. And we've talked about that quite a bit, but it looks like maybe he was even the second pick if Frank Reich was not going to be the guy. 
because we know David Tepper wanted somebody from an offensive background, and that is what they have put out there. We wanted somebody to help a QB that could come in, whatever. Kellen Moore does not go long without a job. Now he's the offensive coordinator with the Chargers, and that is a highly coveted job. We know this, too, because it's also one of the worst-kept secrets in the NFL on Sean Payton's front that he wanted the Chargers job first and foremost. The longer we go in this process, the more likely it is that Sean Payton does the TV thing for another season. And if it goes haywire over there in L.A. and they fire Brandon Staley, then Sean Payton could come aboard, and I would imagine they would want Sean Payton pretty badly to be that head coach. So really, as you said, I guess Kellen Moore would have been fine as the play caller here in Carolina. You don't feel like they really missed out on something hot with him going to LA. No, not really. Mm -hmm. No, I just think that, like I said, this Panther team, they have a lot of work uh, in front of them. And Kellen Moore is a good coordinator, but I also look at the pieces accumulated on the team and Dak Prescott for better or for worse. You know, he's a good quarterback and Dallas has a lot of weapons and they've been successful over there. So, uh, with these offensive coordinators, it's a lot of prove it uh, with me with a lot of these guys. Well, and it's and it's hard because they don't have that on their resume because they haven't been put in that position. Correct. And so you are operating from a place that has complete uncertainty where you can have right hiring practices. And that is the sign of a well thought out, a competent organization. But the fact of the matter is, we don't know. Just like we don't know with a lot of these NFL draft you know, prospects that come out, we have no clue, right? And that's not any groundbreaking analysis. It's just the fact that you got to put in the right process in order to try to find what could be some successful candidates. And hopefully you have Frank Reich to bring out the best in this team and then whoever the OC could be. And so we've got some people writing in. It's got to be something from Philadelphia, you know, Stanford P wrote in Detroit, KC or Philly, maybe a quarterback coach, a member of that coaching staff. You know, you, you could certainly go that route. My question is, do you want a different play caller here than Frank Reich? Would you rather have somebody come in, allow Reich to be the CEO type of coach with Carolina? Um, how do you want the offensive play calling duties to play out here when the when the staff is all said and done? I think that you do. I think with a head coach, they have so many things that they have to think about from a week-to-week basis, as, as we've talked about before, there's even small responsibilities that people don't even think of that they have to handle on a week-to-week basis. So to put just the bulk or all of the play-calling responsibility on the head coach, I think is a mistake. I think they need someone that they can collaborate with, that can carry out their wishes and philosophies of what they want to do. But I think a head coach, you graduate to that position to become uh, a head coach. Just look at, like, you know, Andy Reid. He has Eric Bieniemy there. Um, you just look at some of the great play callers in in the history of this league. And, you know, I think it's just, in my opinion, best operating practice to have somebody to share in that responsibility with you. You can come through and suggest some calls. You can go through the playlist, figure out what's good, what's not together. Mm-hmm. But as far as him just being the sole guy going in there, locking himself in every week and coming up with a game plan and the calls and all that, I just think there's a lot more uh that's just too much responsibility. Q wrote into the text line, hold up. Didn't they say Tepper wanted an offensive-minded head coach? If so, what's the purpose of bringing a coordinator in? Heck, they could have hired Wilkes and brought in an offensive coordinator. And a lot of people are going to think that same way. If you bring in an offensive-minded guy, then is there really any reason to bringing in someone who is going to call the plays if Frank Reich was that person that you wanted to bring in because of his offensive mind. Now, you can still have your fingerprints all over the offensive game plan. Reich is not going to choose someone that 
has some conflicting ideas with what they should do offensively. That's not going to happen. But I do understand the point. If you look at some of the successful seasons he's had in Indianapolis, I mean, Reich was calling the plays for those seasons where you did see some of the success that they had with that Indianapolis Colts team. So I would understand him being the play caller. We've seen him do it before, so it's not going to be completely new to him. That's where I get tripped up. When Matt Rule got the CEO-type approach and then he had Phil Snow as the defensive coordinator, Joe Brady at the time as the offensive coordinator, I thought that was perfect for a coach coming in as a first-time guy in the NFL. Frank Wright comes in, immediately the play caller, and does a good job. And so for me, if you've already been a part of that process, that allows me to feel a little more comfortable if you're going to do the same thing, if you're going to take on that responsibility. But at the end, it didn't go well. I think a lot of that has to do with the quarterback spot, the whole stability thing, the way that it went so poorly this year for the Colts. you got to find personnel that allows you to be successful on that side of the ball. So for me, if you go and get somebody that is a play caller, I'm cool with it, whether it be a Kevin Petula, whether it be anybody from that Eagles passing game, because we know Frank Reich comes from Philadelphia. We know Sirianni and Frank Reich both working together, right? Like you could see a lot of the same philosophy you know, start to go down that coaching tree. Um, I, I think they're set up, though, where either way, I'm cool with whatever they decide to do. And I, I do think this is an environment, as long as they take care of some of the personnel problems they have, I do think this is setting up as an environment where a QB can have some success. I think it is, too, because I think the back that will be here when they get here, you stick with Hubbard and Deontay Foreman, you're going to have that. This is an improving offensive line with a young uh, left tackle, and that's the number one piece you want to add on that line. You have a wide receiver. That's borderline one. We uh, borderline one uh, wide receiver. So you have a lot of pieces here to get off the ground and running. It's just solving uh, that all-important spot. And even if you keep Sam Darnold as the bridge, uh, this is a guy that, you know, should have some confidence based off what he did and the improvements that he had last year that should be enough to get you started at least. So as we talk about some of the things they need to do on the coaching staff, Frank Reich spoke on Friday, and here he is discussing some of the few things that he has left to do on his to-do list. First, want to connect with the players as soon as I can. And, you know, it's hard. Everybody's spread out. So, you know, I'll try to connect with as many as I can, and that'll just be a slow process. Um, Next on the agenda is, you know, building the staff. Um, Very excited about that. Um, we're committed to giving our team, you know, one of the best staffs in the NFL. Um, you know, Mr. Tepper's made that clear that, hey, let's let's bring in the very best, Frank. Let's bring in the very best. So, you know, that'll be a methodical process. So a couple things. One, I'm watching Fiddy dance to what is a weird beat to dance to, but he was feeling it. What? Sometimes I just can't quite figure out what beat makes you move, <laughs> Fiddy, because that one was one that was real elevator music vibey, but you were just <laughs> feeling and you decided to give me a couple thumb snaps and move to the groove. You ever seen Iron Man 2? Yes, I have. It's not, I probably wasn't paying attention all that much. I think it's Iron Man 2 or Iron Man 3 was where he gets drunk in the suit mm. and then he oh, I've seen this release himself in the suit and I was just kind of, <laughs> you know. There, it was some some different music back when he was getting crunk at his house. And are you telling us you peed yourself? I did Saturday night. Okay, well there you go. We'll break, we'll break that down a little bit later <laughs> on in yeah. the show. himself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, the next thing I wanted to bring up that was not a part of that soundbite. He talks about David Tepper. 
I've had my criticisms of David Tepper quite a bit. There are a lot of deserved pieces of criticism towards the owner. It has never been how cheap he is because he's not cheap. The guy is going to go spend some money or some scrilla, as Wes Bryant might mm-hmm. say. And I like that in my owner. In fact, it's one of the big things you need to check off of, okay, F, F, how do we evaluate an owner? I hope that he's willing to spend a lot of money to go get the guys that he wants. Straight cash, homie. Whether it was the right decision in Matt Rule is beside the point. It's the fact that he was somewhat of a hot commodity. The Giants were going to go after Matt Rule, too. And David Tepper said, no, thank you. We want him. I'm going to spend all this money to go get him. Mm -hmm. So I like that. I think that comes into play here with whatever assistant they decide to bring in. If there is this highly coveted assistant that everybody wants... I feel great going to bat with anybody else that David Tepper can go get that guy. Now, you have to structure a well-thought-of organization, right? Because there are ways that money can't win out. I mean, if you don't like the structure that Carolina is right now, then you might decide to go to a better situation, even if it is for less money. And that's cool. You got to fix it. That's where some of the criticism is belonged for David Tepper. But it's not the money, and it gives you a fighting chance, even when you're trying to get up. Maybe fake it till you make it. So that's what I like about David Tepper being the owner of Carolina. It's the fact that he is willing to shell out a lot of dough, and that could help you in this top assistant search. That is certainly a great advantage, for sure. I mean, a guy that will spare no expense to bring everything and give the head coach every resource. And also, I think Frank Reich should sign off on said hire as well. Uh, I know that he is well-sourced. These coaches are well-sourced as far as they know a lot about the backgrounds of a lot of these coaches. You're not going to get really anybody by them that they don't know. And so that will be a key component as well. And I think also, you know, what are the intentions of said offensive coordinator that you bring in? I would imagine they all want to be head coaches. So that kind of goes back to my theory of, of what would the future look like. Uh, But again, just having an owner who will go and get a coach any resources that they need to win is a comforting thought. And I think that I agree with you. I don't think he'll spare any expense if money is going to be the deciding factor for what offensive coordinator he can go get. The the time I think we saw money become a factor, at at least that is well documented, it's the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes where despite all the sexual assault slash misconduct allegations hurled his way, despite all of that, there were still teams that wanted to go after Deshaun, including Carolina. And once it came down to his contract, his record contract becoming fully guaranteed, that's when David Tepper backed out. Cleveland was in it. And sure enough, the Browns get their guy. So that is something that has deterred David Tepper. But for top assistants, you're not talking about fully guaranteed quarterback money. You might be willing to shell out that type of dough. Now, 980 number makes a great point in the Garage Door Guru text line. Didn't they try that with Fangio? And he said, no, thank you. That could be true. I have not seen if it came down to him turning down all this money. But we do know there were reports about Carolina having Vic Fangio their top priority as far as the defensive coordinator goes. And now the rumors are it's not officially signed, but. All and I think all of the intent is that Vic Fangio is going to be the defensive coordinator for Miami. And that is a fun situation to be a part of, to get to work with a smart mind like Mike McDaniel, to have some of the offense, you need to figure out quarterback, whatever. So maybe that happened. But we do know that David Tepper is willing to spend money for a top assistant, and hopefully that gets them a good one. 
as long as they also choose the right guy. So we'll see how all of that unfolds here with the Carolina Panthers this offseason. Let's go to the first Fitty Flash of the day. What you got for us, Fitty? All right, guys. want to provide some more uh, substance to that news you're talking about. The Los Angeles Chargers are expected to hire former Cowboys offensive coordinator Kellen Moore. As their new OC, according to Ian Rappaport and Tom Pelissero from the NFL Network, the news does come one day after Moore and the Cowboys mutually agreed to part ways after his four seasons in Dallas. He takes over for Joe Lombardi, who got fired after they blew a 27-point lead in the postseason. And Moore released a statement saying, quote, he's charged up to be the Chargers offensive coordinator. And secondly, um... The Eagles have opened up as two-point favorites over the Chiefs in Super Bowl 57. What do you guys make of that? I, I, I turn your mic on. I, did I turn that off? Why yeah. did I do that? I probably coughed or something. Yeah, the dynamic producer in me did not come out there well. I think that's fine. I understand that because of the way that Philadelphia has played in this postseason. They've been very good. I know that you were dealing with a bad quarterback situation against San Francisco, but that offensive line continues to be awesome. I think Jalen Hurts continues to make plays with his arm and even with his legs, if that's what the play calling is for. I think their coaching has been remarkable. Like, I think Philadelphia, especially having that pass rush, I think that matters. So I have no problem with Philadelphia being the favorite, even if I don't pick him, even if I'm going to go with Pat Mahomes because he's that dude. I understand why the line would be Philadelphia being two-point favorite. Yeah, certainly understandable. When you talk about this pass rush, what they've been able to do, uh, you know, offensively, they may not have been spectacular on Sunday, but this has been a team that's been spectacular all season long. So Philly's arguably been the best team all season long when you just talk about consistency, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm not surprised either. Um, also, with the news that's coming in with Kellen Moore agreeing to the Chargers, that's something that you know we, we've seen where he was a candidate. In case you're just joining us here on Wesson Walker, that was something that broke about 10, 15 minutes before we came on air. And so now he's a part of the Chargers for really only about an hour now. So uh, we'll see who the next OC is going to be for Carolina. Let's visit the campus corner. Coming up next, NC State beats Wake Forest. What's the panic meter like for the Deeks fans after dropping three straight? It's Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 FM, WFNZ. And Walker on WFNZ 92.7 FM. Here we go, folks. Campus corner time. ACC basketball this weekend. You can reach us on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610. You can catch us on Twitter, Wes and Walker. I'll do it today, Walker. Okay. W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R. Follow that. Follow us. Hit that follow button. All right, man. Listen. Demon Deacons this weekend had a big game with NC State at Wake Forest. They dropped it. Terquavion Smith came up big in the clutch form. Big DJ Burns held the paint down to the tune of 31 points. He had 23 in the second half. Said the Wake fans were chanting Whopper at the man. <laughs> Got him fired up. Did they say it in the jingle? Whopper, 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 <laughs> Whopper. They might have been. Whatever it was, he went 23 points. Uh, in the second half, panic meter for the Deke fans after this one, I would put it at about a nine. Losing nine, uh, losing three straight games, 
Let's talk about coming off that pit loss. They led most of this game against NC State and just blew it down the stretch. As I've said, I worried about this team being led by a small guard. Tyree Appleby in the end, you know, he fires up threes. You know, he does attack the basket. Wake just is lacking that big wing guy that can just really just be a walking bucket for them. Monsanto is a good shooter, but he doesn't want to attack the basket like that. The Deeks are missing that that Jake LaRavia type of guy that's just big, can get to the rack, can find others, and can get you a bucket when you need it. So I'm going to ask you, Walker, Mm -hmm. and then Fiddy, you can chime in on this as well. What should the panic meter be like for Wake Forest fans after this third straight I'm interested in you going number nine because I didn't expect you to go that high. And I'm with you, though. I think going nine is appropriate here because if you look at their upcoming schedule, not only have they lost three straight, they're against good teams in the ACC, Virginia, Pittsburgh, NC State. Two of those games came at home. Their next game is going to be on the road against Duke. The Blue Devils are undefeated at home. And also, even with Wake having already beaten Duke the first time, I can't imagine that's going to happen two times in a row. Are you going to talk about four straight losses? You hope they get the win on the road against Notre Dame, but then you got to come back home and play North Carolina. So you could be talking about losing five of six games. That's a big-time drop for Wake Forest. And I love Appleby. I love Monsanto just for what he stands for, letting it fly at all costs, and he can hit some really tough shots. But this roster is showing some of the flaws, and I think what you're really seeing from this team right now is the fact that if they play some of the top teams in the ACC starting to get a little dicey. They had had some good wins. Hell, they were really coming off of a, a good win against Clemson. When they beat Clemson 87-77, to that was a home game. But yeah, I'm with you. Like, just kind of looking at what the future is, what the near future is for this Wake Forest schedule, I want them to get there. I want them to get to the tournament, but this is going to be a bad stretch if they continue down this path. Well, listen, we're going to find out a lot, like you said, with a lot of these big games coming up in the ACC, and just for this team as well, they, they sunk in the standings because them and NC State were right behind each other in the standings wake now sitting there at eighth behind duke and so when you talk about the tournament and what they could do as far as the acc tournament this is a team that you want to continue to build confidence in but as you said they're not showing that they can beat some of the primetime teams because the clemson game i'm not going to call that a fluke but it's just that you caught clemson coming off that emotional win versus duke you wonder how much you know clemson was just ready for that game in that type of environment where wake was treating that in a much, much bigger fashion. I saw online after the game, fans starting to question Forbes just a little bit. Right. I mean, well, with his winning track record, people starting to look at him with the side eyes, I like to say. That's that's happening, and I don't, <laughs> I don't want it to happen. Steve Forbes is, is an awesome guy, and this is the third year. I, I think, let's say they don't make the tournament. It depends on how close it would be. If they don't, I would imagine it would be still pretty close. They would not be, you know, in the 80th, right, in the 80th rankings. I think they'd probably be something like the first four, next four out, something like that. I would still hold on to Forbes, but I understand why people would look at him that way. My other question to you, going back, Wes, if you look at Wake Forest Mm -hmm. and you look at NC State, who did this game say more about? Did it say more about the Deeks dropping this one? Or is NC State just for real, for real, and we got to give them all the props? I think it said more about NC State. Now, NC State can't quite solve the North Carolina riddle, 
But as far as just when you talk about big threes in the ACC with the way DJ Burns has been playing lately, you talk about Burns, Jarkel Joyner, and Taquavion Smith. That's quite a formidable trio. Add Casey Marcel into the mix and some of their other role players. And NC State, they are playing the type of basketball that Kevin Keith has been envisioning since he took that job. They're 17-5 and five overall, 7-4 and four, uh, in the ACC now. And just what I was talking about, you know, you have Terquavion Smith. That was the guy they got the ball to in the clutch. He's the walking bucket for them that you can say, okay, DJ, you carried us this far. Jaquil, you made some plays. Terquavion, be the finisher. That's what Wake is uh, missing. But NC State, they finished the month of January 6-1. It's their best winning percentage in the month of January for NC State team since 1988-89 when they went 8-1 in January. So yes, I would say this NC State team is for real. And so that speaks to when, you know, when I just look at college basketball, ACC basketball to be exact, cover it for the ACC, Deanne, that you can watch on all platforms. This ACC men's basketball tournament has the potential to be one of the most unpredictable in recent memory with the parity in this league. I guess I'll start with 50, my fellow uh, ACC nostalgia guy and ACC, and, and you are as well. Welcome. Mm-hmm. Look at that. You are as well. Fiddy, what do you think about the potential of this ACC basketball tournament? Uh, I, I think it can be really great. It's great that you've got right now nine teams in the league above 500 in conference play. It's going to be right up the road in Greensboro where Jim Beheim will complain endlessly about, but Historically, when the tournament is there, there's a better turnout. There's a much better environment. And so I do think you're going to see some teams like your Demon Deacons, maybe a Virginia Tech, one of those type of schools that will enter the tournament playing for their NCAA tournament lives, which creates drama and storylines. So really excited for that tournament to get back in Greensboro because it could be one of the best ones we've had. Really since the 2019 tournament was here, you got that epic Duke-Carolina matchup in the semis. And Fiddy, play the soundbite real quick of Jay Billis on if he thinks the ACC is down this year that he said on the Kyle Bailey show. I think the league is very good. It's it's not as good as it's been in the past, though. There have been better years. And I think any time when you've got Duke and North Carolina, it's when they're not at the top of the conference, it might feel like it's, it's uh, not as good. But, you know, with Louisville, uh, Notre Dame, Florida State to an extent, uh, struggling a little bit, and uh, the bottom of the league isn't as strong as as arguably it should be. So when when you're comparing it against like the Big Twelve or the SEC, I think the ACC falls a little short. But you know, oddly enough, we, it, there's a long way to go. And and look, I said that last year, I believed it, and yet a bunch of teams in the ACC outperformed expectations in the NCAA tournament. That's not the be all and end all to me. Um, you know, you do well in a tournament, you play right at the right time. That's important. But I'm not one that, that you know, sort of agrees with uh, with Jim Beheim that that's all that matters. It's, it's not all that matters. Walker, real quick before we get out of here, what do you think about that soundbite and about the tournament? I know that's... About the NCAA tournament. No, about the ACC tournament and the parity and then what Jay Billis did. Well, I think with the ACC tournament, one, I love it being here in Greensboro. I like that type of, I, you know, with Jim Beheim always having that problem, I like it being in Greensboro and then having some parity would make it a lot of fun. And I think we are going to get that. I also agree with Jay Billis about this conference being very good, but certainly not as good as it has been. Because even with people disguising their criticism of the ACC in the sense they'll say, well, it's not as top-heavy, but it's still awesome, right? 
we'd see top-heavy programs. We've we've seen North Carolina, Duke, whatever other school you want to put towards the top, even of Virginia as of recently, and also have really good teams outside of that. It's just those were always the championship contenders. We don't have as many of the championship contenders. It's going to be a lot more of a wild card situation, but it still is a very fun league, right? Like I don't, I don't think it's as great as we've seen in years past, but I think it is a lot of fun. We are going to see a lot of teams that have that shot in an ACC title, and I think that's going to be appointment television every single round of the conference tourney this year. All right, well, which of the final four NFL teams that we saw this weekend could the Panthers potentially most resemble? We're going to talk that and more playoffs next. It's Wes and Walker on WFNZ 102, I mean, 92.7 FM.